for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On this show, we talk about certainty, a topic that feels more important today than ever before, but all in all, always an important topic. We have my good friend and mentor in the Whale Club, Nick Peterson, with us today. Nick is a lifelong student, visionary, and entrepreneur that started and scaled multiple seven-figure businesses, and now he's focused on education through the Certainty Certification Program, a program that I went through. Uh, it's been fantastic, and he helps entrepreneurs slow down, construct a solvable problem, and find the most efficient path forward. He's made a huge, massive impact on my life. I'm thrilled to have him here with us today. Uh, now, we do this show because a wise man once asked us, how do we get closer to the things that we want in life without chasing more and more? That person was Dan Nicholson, partner with Nick, Steve, and myself in the Whale Club. Uh, and we're here to achieve financial certainty by rigging the game in our favor. If you get value out of today's show, please share this episode right now. That way we can all learn and grow together. You guys are going to hear us speaking a totally different language on this show, and it might cause a little bit of confusion. That's totally okay. We encourage you to keep the loop open. Another phrase I love by Nick. Uh, so please write your takeaways in the live chat after you've thought about it. Put your six-word update in the comments below. The title of today's show is The Process is the Shortcut. Now, you might notice that uh, Steve is not here doing the intro. Steve is out of town. He is uh, on vacation with his family, so I'm uh, taking on the intro again. But anyways, it's great to have you, Nick. Welcome into the show. Um, it's good to see you. Yeah, man, likewise. And that was a great intro. I think you should probably just fire Steve. That was uh, that, That's the best intro I've heard so far. <laughs> it's so. time to step down, Steve. This is what happens. You uh, you get off the field, and some you know somebody's going to take your spot. That's how it goes. Indeed, and it's it's. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next however many minutes, um, because the the process of the shortcut. There's so many ways to discuss it, which I, I think we'll get into. Um, and I encourage anybody listening to just, as you said, keep loops open. Like there's a million ways to look at the phrase "the process of the shortcut," or uh, another way is like uh, "best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago." Mm. You know, it, so we all we all hear that one way, and I think over the next hour or so, we can uh, give you some different perspectives or lenses from which to to think about that quote or that concept. Yeah, we'll start us off with your six word update, as we always start every show. Six word update: the process is still the shortcut. I love it. I love it. Well, we'll expand on that. Um, this concept just it hit me like a ton of bricks when you shared it with me probably a year ago. So, you know, I've been waiting to have you uh, kind of articulate this in, in more depth. So we'll get into that. My six word update comes from something uh, that happened to me in the last uh, week or so. And it's a phrase that you taught me about. My six word update is don't be a poo flinging monkey, um, <laughs> which cracks me up. But um let me tell the story of the poo flinging monkeys, right? And I'll do my best to, to tell it. So they did a study and they had two groups of monkeys. And of course, they have a you know room full of monkeys. And what they do is they bring them a banana. And of course, these monkeys are thrilled because monkeys love bananas. And, you know, these monkeys are jumping around. They're excited. They're happy. And then they had another group of monkeys where they came in and they gave them each two bananas. And of course the monkeys are absolutely thrilled beyond all belief, but here's what they did is they went in and they took one of the bananas away from the, the group of monkeys that they had given to, to, and you know, the question is obviously what happened to these monkeys? Well, they started freaking out, screaming and flinging their poo everywhere. And, you know, you sort of pointed out to me this story and like the, the, the moral of this story is that both groups of monkeys ended up with one banana, right? The net result was that they both had one banana. So why is it that one group was extremely happy and the other group was flinging their poo everywhere and just pissed, right? And that story hits me so hard because I had a deal in the last two weeks I'd been working on for quite a while that sort of just fell apart. You know, it's, uh, if you guys have been hearing me talk on this show, you probably heard me talk about the 53 acre parcel that I was working on. And long story short is the deal fell apart. I had to remind myself at the same time, I'm getting ready to close in two weeks on the biggest deal of my career. It's 18 townhomes here in Denver. And the poo flinging monkey story started to ring in my head. Cause I found myself getting, you know, upset, 
and frustrated that I had lost this deal. But at the end of the day, I'm still, I've still got this great banana, right? And, and I thought that I had lost something, but really I never had it in the first place, right? So the net result was, was still the same. I'm still in a very good position, but I don't know why I love that poo flinging monkey story because it's, it's so true to human behavior. Yeah. I, I mean, you told it really well, by the way. So you could just tell it from now on. Um, it's, it's difficult. Like I use the poofly and monkey. I, I think I first picked that up from uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb uses it as an example. And then I went and found the source and uh, the imagery, mm. right? Like just the imagery of like being a poofly monkey. Right. You're like, Oh, that's embarrassing. So maybe I should stop and, and think if I'm completely misframing this situation. So because to the outside world, I don't want to look like I'm a poofling and monkey in a cage. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, I also love that story. Um, and I think the imagery is helpful. I think it helps us like recenter ourselves. Because uh, the question is, after you tell the story, the question is how many problems like these monkeys that feel like the world is over, uh, how many other problems are you just misframing? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a good question to ask. Yeah. You and Dan do that so well. You know, you pr- you've got to properly characterize the problem first. Do we really have a problem or do you still have a banana, right? Mm-hmm. What's there to be upset about other than the fact that you thought you were going to have something that just didn't occur, you know, and again, from the outside looking in, you're getting all upset about this and, and realistically, like the net result is still the same. So no, I, I love that story. And you know, just a little personal anecdote this week. I had to remind myself, don't be a poo flinging monkey, man. You still got the biggest deal of your career. Yeah, it sucks that you lost that deal, but you never had it in the first place. Let's move on. And uh, and I think that's a good way to pick up for the topic of today's show, which is that this phrase, the process is the shortcut. Um, and I think your six word update was the process is still always the shortcut. Um so tell us a little bit more about that. I know you have a fantastic little parable that you tell called the tallest tree. So tell us a little bit about the process as the shortcut and, and maybe lead in with that story. Yeah, it, it, there's a lot to it. Uh, there, there's a lot of, uh, and I'll use the, uh, like, there's a lot of crypto stuff going on right now where everybody thinks it's like, oh, here's a shortcut. And it's like, well, the shortcut's the process, you know, diffusion of innovation. It's going to happen the same way it always happens. And so for each thing, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish there, there's some standard process and you can always use your like unique disposition to get a, a little wind at your back. Sometimes you get lucky. Like all these things can happen. Uh, but I'm just to say that there's a, there's a time frame that is appropriate for each thing. Like if you want to write a, a, the best book you could possibly write, there's a time frame that's appropriate for that. It's probably not going to be overnight and it doesn't necessarily take 30 years. Right, so we could look at history. We could see that there, there's an appropriate time preference. Uh, and within that time preference, you're going to have lots of ups and downs. You'll get somebody who will give you three bananas, take two away. You know, and you have to understand where, where you are in the time preference. So um, a few examples of when we say the process is a shortcut. It's like the shortcut is sometimes a dream. Uh you dream of hitting the game-winning Grand Slam at the bottom of the ninth inning of the World Series. Uh, but you don't really get to choose if you're in the World Series. You don't get to choose if the bases are loaded when you come up to bat. Uh, so how do you have the highest probability of being in that situation? You become the best hitter you can every single day. It's the process. Mm-hmm. So when we say process is a shortcut, we're talking about probabilities. What is the probability that you actually get the thing that you want in the shortest amount of time possible. Uh, same with trying to write a uh, best-selling book. If you say, hey, I want to write a best-selling book. I want to write a best-selling book. Well, there's so many things outside of your control uh, with best-selling books. Who else is publishing books? Uh, what kind of weird, you know, cronyisms going on? Like all this stuff. Uh, the highest probability that you write a best-selling book is that you sit down every day and you write the best book that you can. You go through the process. Uh, so the example I use, and I the first time I told it, I used grass, mm-hmm. like growing grass, and everybody thought I was talking about weed. So <laughs> <laughs> it, 
because you know the grass is greener right and so i was piggybacking off that so it changed to trees but imagine this is an orientation thing uh paul imagine we drive through this neighborhood and see this amazingly tall tree and this guy's really proud of it he's like look at my tree we're like that's cool uh we should grow trees and uh, you get stuck on this orientation that i'm gonna have the tallest tree that's what I want, the tallest tree. And I go, yeah, uh, me too, but I make a little shift. And I say, but I understand that the process is the shortcut. So what I need to do is I need to become really good at growing trees. And so when you think about the process, you think about really good at doing the thing that leads to the outcome. Most people stay stuck on the shortcut or the, the, the goal orientation. So the next day, we're going to plant our trees. And I'm going to be like positive, positive emotion because I want to get good at it. I just learned how to, the first step and get good at growing trees. You're next door and you're pissed because you just want a tall tree. Mm -hmm. Okay. So already our behaviors are the same, but the anthropological side, like my, uh, the way I'm approaching it makes it more likely that I actually end up with a tall tree. And I'll explain why, because three days later, four days later, five days later, every day I'm winning because I'm learning how to grow trees. Every day you're pissed off because you don't have the tallest tree yet. Yeah. Um, you may go through magazines, look for shortcuts, maybe some, I don't know, special kind of fertilizer or seed or whatever. Uh, and I'm just doing the things that you need to do to grow a tree. And I'm very happy with it. After a couple months, I'm still getting to do what I do every day, and it's great. You're still pissed off every day, so it's very likely that you start doing things like kicking the tree, thinking it's really hard to grow trees. You need a day off from growing trees. F it. I'll come back tomorrow. Well, you just missed the day, and I didn't. Giant hailstorm comes through, and yep. now all of a sudden, you think this is happening to you, right? And yep. it's like, why? Why is this happening to me? You're hoping for good weather when when a hailstorm comes you're oh this is just getting me further away from what i want where i'm like oh i guess this is part of growing trees right so i got to learn how to do this and what happens let's say that you somehow plow through it uh and you end up with a big tall tree it won't be as beautiful as mine because uh you've missed a bunch of days and you tried a bunch of goofy shortcuts and remember when you try a shortcut Every every decision you make has an infinite number of other trade-offs. So when you try a, a shortcut, you were not doing what we already know works. And so every shortcut you try, uh, that is resources that is not going into something that is part of the process. Yeah. So but let's say we both grow trees. I can't really tell which one's taller. It doesn't really matter. Uh, the process for you was horrible. Now, if you think people that build businesses, people that maybe raise children, people that they're just like, wow, I can't believe I survived that. I never want to do it again. Building a business, growing a tree, raising a child, whatever is so hard. Where I'm going to be like, wow, that was really enjoyable. I think I'm going to plant some more trees. So you, you put this on repeat enough times and you're looking over the fence at me like this a-hole. He's so lucky. He's just good things happen. Look at him just growing all these trees. It was so hard to grow a tree and it just happens for him. Call it good luck. So um, it kind of highlights both the, from a resource allocation standpoint, um, every shortcut you take or try to take is taking away from the things that have been proven to move, move forward or, or be appropriate for the process. Uh, but also the mental side, the anthropological in that if you're always looking for shortcuts, you're going to look up and people that are following the process are going to pass you. And for some reason, our brain does not go, oh, yes, that makes sense because they follow the process. Because we've told our brains the process takes too long. That's not feasible. It'll never work. I don't have time for that. But you take all the shortcuts. Diet, nutrition is a big one. And the people that are doing it the slow, boring way that nobody has time for, they start passing everybody else. And for whatever reason, our brain, the only way you can process it is, wow, they must be lucky. 
because they're not faster than us. They took the slow route, so they must be lucky. And we see this at the tortoise and the hare. There's a gazillion different examples. Uh, but that's the, uh, the, the other thing I'll add, I'll just tie this back in really quick, is like raising a child, growing a tree, losing weight, building muscle, uh, building a business, depending on the industry as well. You know, um, a new technology that's not regulated versus something that is a little bit later on the adoption curve. These all have timelines that are appropriate. So we have to like adjust our expectations. Uh, it's really an expectation management thing. Uh, so if it's going to take 40 years to grow a tree, and we know that, then uh, trying to find a shortcut after a week doesn't make any sense. That's just poor that you just don't know what you're getting into. Same with, uh, you know, yeah, I want to, I want to lose some body fat or build some muscle. Well, that those, those, those things also take time. So we have to measure our progress on, on an appropriate, uh, on an appropriate timeline. And that is informed by the historical data of the thing that we're trying to accomplish. Well, yeah, but Nick, I want results. Like, I don't want to wait. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. That's what, that's what, um, I, you know, I'm curious to get your perspective on what drives people towards more of like, what I'm hearing you say is more of like an outcome based approach. I just want this outcome. I just want this tall tree. I just want to, you know, be a, a successful real estate investor. Right. Okay. What contributes to that type of focus versus someone enjoying the process of becoming that particular thing? Oh, so many things. Uh, one, and it gets it gets worse and worse, in my opinion, because social media, um, TV shows, all media, it is all designed uh, to trigger dopamine, right? And Andrew Huberman says dopamine without effort will destroy a person. So from an evolutionary standpoint, um, we should get dopamine in exchange for effort. Like, you know, we had to work really hard to go hunt and kill our food and then like, ah, yes, I get to enjoy it. Um, so as we grow up, the more opportunities we have to get dopamine without effort, the more we believe that dopamine should be acquired without effort. That's what we've been taught because you're saying, okay, so I could do all this work and then maybe I'll be happy or, you know, I could just go play the slot machine and, and maybe I'll win for doing nothing or even just the bells and whistles give me dopamine. So there's a, there's a need or there's a pursuit of as much dopamine as possible with as little effort as possible. Mm-hmm. And that, that leads to just this idea that um, I want it and I want it now, which I get. I also want those things and I also want them now. Um, we got to call that like the J.G. Wentworth bias. It's my yeah. money and I want it now. <laughs> We're going to, you're going to have to trademark that one. Um, there you go. But yeah, like I want it, I want it now. Cool. I get it. Uh, but that's not going to happen. Now, unfortunately, we want it so bad that there are always marketers. There's always somebody willing to tell us we can have it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really hard to listen to the people. You think of Warren Buffett. He's been saying the same thing for like a hundred years now, you know? Um, and still people are like, Oh yeah, that worked for him, but the world's different now. No, fundamentally it's the same. Uh, have a macro belief, believe in something. I'm not going to tell you what to believe in, but believe in something and compound it over time. Mm-hmm. But it's that overtime piece that nobody wants to listen to. Yeah. Because uh, uh, you see it in, uh, just as proof, you see it in uh, entrepreneurs do it all the time. All the time. They do something and it works. A rational human would say, cool, this got me closer to what I want. I should do more of it. The entrepreneur brain, which is already ADD, goes, whoa, that works cool i wonder if something new will work mm -hmm. right that's the need for dope it's new creates a lot of dopamine yeah so you'll see uh, business owners abandon incredible uh product strategies ad campaigns uh and it's kind of like, why are you doing that uh, because our brain tells us new is better 
Well, when you introduced me to the concept of the barbell, which we talk about a lot on this show and the idea of like, you know, and I've, I've said this many times that I want a boring business. Why? Because I, I, I have to recognize, I still want that dopamine of new. I just don't mess with it inside of my reliable business anymore. I go play on the other side of the barbell where I can take bats. I can be curious. I can press buttons just to see what happens when I press them. But you can't do that without the reliable, boring business. And so that's the curse of the entrepreneur, right? Is they start one thing and then they don't make it reliable, but they go on to the next thing and then they go on to the next thing. And everything is sort of being, you know, Dan would say, optimize before you maximize, right? You're just, you're doing all these things before you've created any reliability. And then you start, <laughs> you start making it even more unreliable by pressing buttons inside of your business. Well, reliability is from a system reliability standpoint it is the probability that you get the outcome that you expect okay when you get the outcome that you expect you expected it there's no dopamine right so people entrepreneurs are the biggest uh culprits of this but it's everybody it's they tend to destroy uh positive things that are reliable they hold on to negative things that are reliable it's wild. Uh, but because positivity, they want more dopamine. So, yeah, the thing about the process is it's repetitive. It's always repetitive. And it, to to rebel against that, uh, sometimes it's structured. It doesn't necessarily have to be structured. But uh, they rebel against that, quote, unquote, boring. Um, so as a human, we have to make a decision. And most people... We know what decision they'll make. They may not say it out loud. They may say the opposite out loud, but you watch the behavior. It's, do you want what your brain thinks you want right now, which is to be entertained? Mm -hmm. Or do you want what you actually want most? That's the trade-off. Yeah. When you're focused on the process, you are optimizing for the things that you have decided are the most important to you. Mm -hmm. Uh if you're stuck on shortcuts and outcomes, then you are optimizing for whatever will give my brain the dopamine it needs as fast as possible. Um, it's a stoic versus an Epicurean. It's really what it is. Well, let's tie this back in. You mentioned macro belief. Let's tie this back into the fact that the majority of the people listening to this show, when we say macro belief, what we refer to is you've got a long-term belief in this. Like if you're listening to this show, you probably have a long-term belief in real estate. And let's talk about an application to real estate for this particular, you know, the process is the shortcut. Mm -hmm. There's, I found myself at the beginning of my career, just desperately wanting a really good deal. I was just looking for deals. Like I wanted to have the best deal in town the biggest deal, raise money for this deal, you know, but I didn't really, <laughs> I avoided getting really good at analyzing deals. That part requires a whole lot of effort. Mm -hmm. And again, because our brains are wired towards, let's like, just give me the deal. Like, and someone else do the work for me. Tell me that this is a good deal. I found myself doing that as opposed to Let's just get really good at finding good deals. How do, we, how do we know that it's a good deal? And how do we stay curious and involved in that process of saying, huh, what does it look like to analyze five deals every single day? Well, the problem with that is that it takes a whole bunch of work and effort. And our brains have been conditioned so much in the modern age that we just want, we want the dopamine for free. I don't want to do the effort. I just want the deal. So that was the first example that it really hit for me was like, I think I'm actually trying to chase a shortcut. I think I just want the deal, but I don't want to do the work to get really good at finding the deals. It's the classic. I want the tallest tree. I don't want to get really good at growing trees. Yeah. And that, that's And it makes sense. We all, it'd be great. Now, the, the truth about the human condition, and, and some people will agree, some will disagree, that's okay, 
is uh, I had this talk this morning with somebody raising their their daughter. Like he was like, yeah, she pu- she puked on me, she peed all over me. It's a whole bunch of work, and you know what? I it, she's brought me so much happiness. Um, and my first thought, and I said this was like, yeah, you gotta understand. You sit around and you think. You think your brain is telling you that you want it to be easy. But that's not the case. There's a lot of things that are really easy that bring you no joy, like watching TV. It might distract you, right? What you really want is for it to be worth it. Mm-hmm. And our monkey mind is saying, no, if it was just easy, like, no, to actually find fulfillment, the way you know, the th- you think all of this easy stuff is going to make you happy. It's not. Um, so we got to kind of override that that monkey part of our mind, that dopamine addicted part of our mind, and realize that we need to one solvable problem is we need to choose pursuits that are worth it. That's step one. Yeah. If we don't accept that, we'll never get into the process because we'll just get hijacked by dopamine. So what you really want is you want something worth it. So when you go, man, I'd really just like a big fat real estate deal to fall on my lap and your mentor or somebody wise that you trust says, well, you got to get good at, at actually uh, like diagnosing and discerning what a good deal is and how to spot them. And you're like, no, nope, don't want to do that. Right, that's okay. Um, that just may not actually be worth it. That might not be a pursuit that you truly care about. You're just looking for an easy win and somebody put real estate in your mind. So it's really helpful to have those conversations. Um, Because the shortcuts do reveal themselves as part of the process, and you will only buy into the process uh, if you have decided the outcome is worth it. Yeah. Well, and you catch yourself. So I had, I'd sort of decided in that moment, oh, right. It is worth it (laughs) to get good at finding deals if you're going to make your career and your, you know, I have a macro belief in real estate. I believe that there is no better way to build wealth than becoming a really good real estate investor because not only can you generate massive amounts of wealth, but you can, you can design your life in a way that you choose. It, it's truly, uh, in my opinion, the, you know, the way that I want to play my game. Again, it's preference-based, as we know. It's not a right or wrong answer. But I think a lot of people listening to this show probably agree with me on that. There's a lot of reasons why we're in real estate in the first place. But that can often... But as Dr. Jeff, he's a mentor to both you and I, he tells us that uh, the human mindset gets first dibs. Every time that monkey brain is going to get first dibs, your dopamine is going to get first dibs, meaning your brain is going to tell you, I just want it to be easy. Mm-hmm. But what does Huberman say? Dopamine without effort can completely wreck a person. And right, I think I think we all understand that by our addiction to our phones, which is just a dopamine, you know, projector, right? We want those dopamine hits. Why? Not because we don't know it's better to put our phone down and go engage in real life, but because our human monkey brain is addicted to it, right? So um, these are sort of like it's like the dichotomy of what's at work here. You've got the human brain, and then you've got well, but this is a worthwhile pursuit. And so instead of me just chasing, just give me the deal, tell me if this is a good deal, I don't really want to do the work, doesn't necessarily mean it's not worthwhile doing. It just means you've got both sides of your brain kind of pulling at you, um, and you've got to reconcile with that. Yeah, it, it means you got to sit down, and you got to decide if it's worth doing. For sure. That's you just so much of this stuff, real estate, any, any, any domain, so much of it is just sitting down and recognizing, huh, I say I want this, but I'm acting this way. Which right. one is true? And yeah. then accepting it. And there's no right or wrong. It's just like once you accept that it's true, maybe it's not worth it. All your friends are in investing in tech. So you always are hoping for a huge tech deal, right? Like as if you're a VC. And you may have a conversation. Go, yeah, you know, I say I do because that's what all my friends say, but I, I really don't. Cool. Then like now you can actually go play your game. Yeah. Uh, and real estate. Uh, maybe uh, same same thing. It's you go, yeah, this is actually worth it. Like, cool. As soon as you have that conversation, you can then reorient yourself. We just need to have kind of a North Star so that we can go, huh, is this my monkey brain? Oh, yeah, it is. Okay. Right. And then override it. 
Yeah, and I'm curious to hear your opinion on the the impact of curiosity in this process, right? The 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 difference between the person trying to grow the tallest tree and the person who is curious about the process. What what shift does that make like in your brain to be curious about something and how does that impact like the shortcut in this case? Well, I think you know uh, you know me well enough. Um, curiosity is everything. It is everything. For now, there there are there. There's a book I can't remember what it's called. Uh, genetically, people are different. It's like ninety percent are uh, what he calls farmers. Ninety percent are hunters. Farmers generally uh, that that's most of the population. They're very good at just doing their job. Uh, hunters are the ones that go out into the wild and figure out how to feed everybody, you know? Um, and they, so that tends to be the entrepreneurs, the entrepreneur spirits tend to have their, their genetics are a little bit different. Um, they have a very high level of curiosity, a very high level of curiosity. Uh, and it's important because when you are curious, uh, a process orientation is curiosity and it's typically a curiosity of how does this work? So people like dig deeper and deeper because how does this work? What What's the mechanism here? You know, and the whole time they're like, well, what happens if I do this? And and why does this do this? Uh, the tree's growing. They don't even recognize it. It's like, you know, it's like you got one person staring at the finish line. Try and run a race staring at the finish line the whole time. It doesn't work. You know, it's like try to play a basketball game, stare at the scoreboard the whole time. It doesn't work. Um. So one person stared at the finish line. The other one, the finish line's coming to them. And that's a byproduct of curiosity. It's either how does this work? Well, that's so many, so many of the unicorn companies, we see them now and we assume that this person like hit their head on the toilet, had a bright idea and went out and built this company. Uh, most of them are insatiably curious. Mm. Like it's either how does this work or how can I solve this problem? Yeah. Uh, when you are curious, uh, it's very hard to be fearful. It's very difficult to be like overrun with curiosity and fear at the same time. One will override the other, right? So if you're curious where like in, in crypto now, um, with a lot of fear, it's the, the people that stay curious. Like, wait, I was never in this to, you know, to get super rich or whatever. I just wanted to figure out how it works. Uh, okay. A lot of the people that do unique, most innovation is curiosity. It's like, yeah, well, it's always been done this way, but could it be done this way? And the curiosity is important <clears throat> because even if you if, if you weren't curious, but you drew it up and said, oh, I think it'd be done this way. The whole industry is going to tell you, no, you're crazy, you're stupid, that'll never work. And you won't do it. Mm -hmm. If you're curious enough, you'll be like, hmm. Maybe I will touch the stove, you know? Yeah. Well, one thing I learned from you that you sort of pointed out is that um, a lot of, I can speak anecdotally, but I'm sure that this is probably felt by a lot of people that a lot of the anxiety that I felt and that we often feel comes from expectations that we place on the quote outcome. I want it to happen a certain way. I, I want this thing to happen. And if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be upset. And we spend all this time worrying about before we even know what the outcome is. It's a very stoic thing, right? To, to not, let's say, not worry about something before it's actually happened. But that's what I noticed is a lot of my anxiety came from expectations that I placed on the outcomes. And what I learned to sort of replace my anxiety with curiosity, like, hey, we just lost this big giant deal in the last two weeks. Wow, interesting. Mm -hmm. I wonder why. I wonder what I could have done differently. How can I improve, right? Don't be a poo-flinging monkey, essentially, right? How do you remain curious through the process? And, and I, I don't necessarily wanna say like detached from the outcome, but maybe I mean detached from the outcome. Like the outcome is what it is. The process is all we can actually control. 
Yeah, for most, for most, uh, look, if anybody that's listening has been through profit priorities, solvable problem, there's two or three things in your life that are the most important. Now, there's this thing called entropy. And all that means is if you build a perfect sandcastle, right, and you step away and the wind blows and the water comes, it's not like the world's out to get you. Why doesn't the world want me to have a sandcastle? It's because that sand can take an infinite number of shapes, and the universe doesn't care what shape it takes. You care what shape it takes, so it's up to you to maintain it and, like, foster it, right? So there's a lot of, like, oh, this didn't go my way. Why is the universe against me? It's not. It's just indifferent. You're the one that has the expectation, so you're the one that has to go through the process of building and maintaining it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it'll take some other shape, and it's not you versus the world. It's the one shape that you want versus the infinite other random shapes it could take. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is that there's really only two or three things in your life at any given time, and they could change, and you can accomplish one and move on to the next and then add more. That's the solvable problem. There's only a few things that, as a human, you can actually have control over shaping which is the uh, your profit priorities. Like so many things are going to take so many shapes that you have no control over. So it's like, okay, you want to pay for your kid's college. You want to retire by the time you're 45 and you want to have a second beach house. Those are the three most important things to you. We can work the process and get closer and closer to those things until we get them. But everything in between is going to take some shape that we can't even conceive of right now. And what you're talking about is... Uh, a scientific versus a dogmatic orientation. And I'll just share real quick. The, the scientific orientation is an orientation toward the process. Science. Now, scientists are humans, so they still make mistakes. But the, the process of science, uh, most things we call goals are actually like a hypothesis. I'm pretty sure if I do these things, this will happen. Uh, what a good scientist does, the process of science is then testing the hypothesis and everything that happens is new information. Yeah. And so the scientific orientation says, look, I have to control the process. I have to isolate the variables. And there are actually an infinite number of ways this could turn out. There's a lot of different ways this could turn out, and they're all acceptable. When we do that, we learn. Like you said, uh, instead of going, oh, no, the world's over, you say, huh, what can I learn from that? Because it's all, uh, it's all a science experiment. What can I learn from that? The dogmatic orientation decides ahead of time. There's only one acceptable outcome. This deal has to go through. That's the only acceptable outcome. They tend not to pay attention to the process because they're so stuck on the goal. And then when it doesn't happen, uh, one, they're almost guaranteed to be disappointed. Whereas the process from an orientation to be process-driven, all these things are acceptable. I'll learn all kinds of stuff I don't even know about. The goal-driven orientation is only this one thing is acceptable. Even if all these other things reveal themselves that are better, I'll be pissed because only this one thing is acceptable. And what happens inevitably, because the world can take so many shapes so randomly, um, is you're setting yourself for disappointment. And more importantly, which you just alluded to, you rob yourself of all of the learning that would have come from a process orientation. Hmm. You go, oh, that didn't work. You might be F those guys or, you know, you start blaming people and um, you don't actually examine the process because the process was never the focus to begin with. It was always right. about the outcome. So there's just a dogmatic orientation. And uh, I can tell you if you're listening uh, or anybody's listening, the way to tell if you live in a dogmatic orientation, because it's a question we often get. Uh, if you are angry often that reality is not meeting your expectation, mm-hmm. then you are probably living in a dogmatic orientation. And I would strongly consider uh, trying to adopt more of a, a process or a scientific orientation. Yeah. So how does this change or should this new information? So investor frame, right? Knowing what I know now and the conversation you and I just had, how does this change the way we set goals? 
That's a good question. I don't love goals. I really don't. Um, I don't love goals because oftentimes we're aiming for something because it's new, right? Like I want to be uh, 120 pounds. You know, like, okay, when's the last time you were 120 pounds? Well, it's been like 30 years. Okay, so you don't have no idea what it's like to be 120 pounds. So you're picking a completely arbitrary thing and assuming it's going to make you happy. I want to have a million dollars in the bank. When's the last time you had a million dollars in the bank? Well, yeah. never. Right. So you're, uh, you're forecasting what it's going to be like. You have no idea. Yeah. And so for real estate want- investors, it's things like I want to have, I want to get 20 more doors this year. I want to close on three development deals. You know, these are goals that I found myself sort of making. And it's like, okay, so how many doors do you have now? Four. Yeah. So like, oh, five. So you, right. <laughs> so, so you want to five X the number of doors you have this year or, or whatever. And, and to your point, those, those, those goals, they're not, there's no evidence necessarily to support that. That's exactly how reality is going to show up. There's no, you know, to, to go back to the tree example, you can't predict when it's going to hail. You can't predict how long winter is going to be. You can't predict a lot of things, right? So instead of specifically saying this is the this is the dogmatic approach, right? To say this is the specific outcome that I desire and by God, like if it doesn't happen I'm going to be upset. Well, here's the problem with that. Sometimes you're right. Sometimes you get that outcome. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And and it's and it's sort of like a little misleading. It's not like saying that setting that type of goal, narrowly focusing on it, can't produce the outcome that you're desiring. It's just like saying that may not be the best the best way to approach the problem. Yeah, it, it may be like. So, let's say you want to add twenty doors, and an opportunity comes up three months later. And the dude has 20 doors to sell. Okay. And you take it on and you're miserable. You have no idea if it was the sixth door, the seventh door, the eighth door, the ninth door, or like, where are, where did the returns become diminished for you? You don't know if you had gone through the process and been curious, you would go, you know, having 10 was really nice, but that 11th and 12th, because I had to add these resources and bandwidth, um, yeah, even though I make a little bit more, my quality of life tanked significantly. So the problem with this super myopic goal setting is we're guessing what it's going to be like over there. We leap over there, and we have no idea if there is somewhere between where we're at and where we've gone or if that would actually make us a lot happier or be a lot more fruitful. And uh, we have no idea if something more efficient or uh, more favorable for example, how many times in real estate, I'll ask you, Paul, and anybody listening, you're like, yeah, whether it's a fix and flip or a, however you do real estate, I'm not a real estate guy. Like, yeah, I just want to do a bunch of these. And sometime later, I realize like, nope, there's, I got introduced to this other thing. And what I've, what I've been doing is, is pretty stupid, not efficient at all. If that has ever happened one time to you in your life, which I know it has, there's evidence that what you think you know for certain right now is not for certain. Right. And we forget that. We've all been in a relationship where, like, yep, this is the one for sure. The months later, like, nope, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so work the process, you know, like, let be curious and let things come. The, yeah. the biggest danger, I'll just repeat what you said, is yes, you can set goals, you can put blinders on. And you can grind them out. And many times you will achieve that goal. And you're like, ah, win. Win column. Win column the whole time. Your see? See? Like Told you. Yeah. See? Uh, you're taking on more risk. You're tired. You're exhausted all the time. You never see your family. And somehow you have a scorecard of wins. Like that's the big disconnect is what are you winning? You know, you're going to be the king of you know, your deathbed because nobody else is going to be there with you. Like, so yeah, goal setting, it can quote unquote work. Um, it's not very likely to make you happier. Well, and I think for me, I, I am a big goal setter, but what I had to do because my, my brain is wired 
that way. You know, I still, I still have that same lizard brain, monkey brain, whatever you want to call it, right? The old brain. And um, instead of setting outcome-based goals, I want to make this much money. I want to have this many doors. I set process-based goals. It means like I want to get up every day by 6 a.m. I want to evaluate five deals every single week, right? I, I want to, you know, I have health goals. I have business goals. I have personal goals with my wife. Like we want to go out to dinner once a week. You know, I look at these things as things that are within my control. I can control whether I spend the time to do these things or not. I can control the habits that I have, the daily actions that I take, Right. And I found a lot more power and curiosity in playing this game on like, how do I get better? And I created a scorecard for myself, mm -hmm. right? Where I track my habits and the things that I want to get good at, but they're process based goals. Why? Because I can control those things. And I know that by doing these actions repeatedly over time, not only am I going to learn, am I going to be curious about how to get better at that and how to become a better person, uh, you know, overall. Um, but I also know that these habits, if stacked up for a long enough time, give me the best opportunity to create the outcomes that I so desire. But I'm also not going to, as we like to say, name the puppy on what the outcome has to be because, you know, I was doing fix and flips and single family rentals and stuff like this for the longest time. And now I'm closing on an $8 million townhouse, 18 unit townhouse development project. I would not have even seen that opportunity had I been so focused on the path and the goals that I had originally set, you know? So my take on this is that if you're a goal oriented person, um, that's, that's totally fine. Play your game. All that we're suggesting is you might want to consider not trying to grow the tallest tree, but get good at growing trees. And what are the habits and the things that you need to stack up on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis? The habits that you know are going to help you do that. And be curious about the process and not focused on the outcomes because most of the time the outcomes will take care of themselves because the process is the shortcut still. Still, Still. yeah. So I'll just kind of piggyback off that. There's a big reason, and nobody likes this. I apologize ahead of time. There's a big reason why this is really hard for, for goal-oriented people because I agree with you. Um, the real goal is to modify your own behavior mm -hmm. to become better at attracting the things that you want or developing the things that you want. But that requires looking in the mirror and judging your own behavior, which nobody wants to do. So if you if you think, hey, I'm really goal oriented, just like uh, like Paul, you just said, I'm goal oriented. It's like, okay, and I'm willing to work. Okay. And I really want things I want. Okay. Can you shift your goals to your own behavior? And people are like, uh, well, uh, you know, because at some level they don't want to measure that. So yeah, achieving your goals is a byproduct of your behavior, mm -hmm. like getting good things out of life or, you know, there's always luck. Um, luck is real. Randomness is real. But the higher probability, you have a higher probability of having good luck if you are measuring your own behavior. So Dr. Jeff Spencer told me this years ago, the champion score scorecard. Now, Dr. Jeff is number one, probably the best performance mindset coach on the planet. He, uh, he was the mindset coach and performance coach for all nine Tour de France victories. He travels with U2, um, et cetera, et cetera. The most important measure for if you want a goal, you want to have a scorecard, how well did I adapt to the day? Which is a version of uh, something unexpected happened. Did I adapt to it well? Did I see a new opportunity or did I completely miss that opportunity? Or did, you know, Somebody called me unexpectedly and it threw me off and I couldn't get anything done. Um, so that that tells me, the way I interpret that, is that the most important thing to score yourself on is how you adapt to the day. Then 
That means we assume unexpected things will happen and how we behave, how we respond is the number one thing that determines whether or not we end up getting to where we're trying to go. Hmm. Not something out there. It's, it is something out there. The, things do exist. Banks collapse. We just saw that. The yeah. question is, how did I behave in response to that? Yeah, it just goes back to the idea of, you know, your expectations versus reality. You know, we, and I mean, that's really, my expectations are that by doing these process-oriented goals, if I do them consistently and long enough, it will bring me the results that I want. But those are just my expectations. Um, I have to measure that against reality. Not only how consistent are you at doing the things that you say you're going to do, right? Because it's like, well, if you say you're going to go to the gym five days a week and you only go four, a lot of us are like, well, that's a huge win. Mm -hmm. And you and I know, well, that's, that's only 80% reliable, right? If you're only doing that 80% of the time, how many of us would, would drive a car that was 80% reliable? We wouldn't. How many of us would get in an airplane that was 80% reliable? How many of us would use a computer that was 80% reliable? We wouldn't. Yet we give ourselves all this grace and, and just like, well, it must, it must have been the problem with the process. You know, so not only is there a gap between like what we say we're going to do and what we actually do, there's also a gap between what we think is going to work and what actually will work in reality. So these are, so I, I just, I, I resonate with that very deeply because I'm, you, you constantly have to ask yourself, um, how well am I adjusting to the day, to the actual reality of what's going on in the world? I know that, you know, investor frame, right back to that. I know you thought this was a good idea at the time. And you thought that by doing these things over and over and over, you were going to get the expectations that you had. And that was going to be perfectly aligned with reality. But what do we know is that that's almost, that's not true uh, as often as we'd like to think that it is. So it's constantly like reevaluating that and where we are relative to reality. Yeah, that's a great example. I mean, the again, back to 80%, uh, none of us will get in an airplane that had an 80% chance of, you know, taking off and landing safely. Um, and yet we will water our tree four days out of five and be like, yeah, we're doing pretty good. And then we'll say, this doesn't work. This plan doesn't work. Well, no, it's actually your behavior. Until your behavior matches the plan, we're not gauging the efficacy of anything but your behavior. And so the, the process orientation, the scientific orientation uh, that we talked about or we've been talking about, it puts us in a position to, to be honest about that. Like, what could I do to be better at growing trees? Well, I could not miss a day. That'd be really helpful. Okay. And now we have something that we can achieve tomorrow. Don't miss tomorrow. Like we've created a little mini thing that actually makes it uh, more likely that we get the outcome we want. Um, but if we sit there and like, we're so focused on the goal, we do not acknowledge our own behavior within the whole system. And it is almost certain that our behavior is the least reliable component. It's the biggest wild card. It's probably the problem. Yeah. Um, but we'll miss it. We'll miss it if we are stuck in, uh, I got to do this in 10 years. You could start there. It, solvable problem. If you said, most important thing is that my wife never has to work again, and I'd like to do that in five years. Okay. If that's very important to you, you could set that, but then we switch it, just like the tree example. So how do I have to behave to make that happen? And then we, the, the goals become behavior goals. Yeah. They become process goals. Yep. Well, great conversation, man. I really enjoyed this. This was a huge impact on my life, really, just to kind of someone, again, I don't think that this is rocket science. It's fairly obvious in a certain sense that the process is the shortcut. If you want to get an outcome, um, don't focus on the outcome. Don't stare at the scoreboard. Don't stare at the finish line. Work on practice every single day. Are you showing up to practice? Are you, you know, we're just weaving around a whole bunch of examples, but the point is like, focus on the process, be curious about the process, play a game that's worthwhile 
right? If you're if you're finding yourself not um, super thrilled about getting good at running deals and analyzing real estate deals, you got to ask yourself: Is it really worthwhile to you to be a real estate investor? Maybe it's not. You know, no judgment, of course. Like it doesn't. That's not the only way to make money, right? But if you do have clarity that, you know, this is a worthwhile venture, it's uh, it's proven time and time again that by focusing on the process, getting good at analyzing the deals is a much faster way to get a good deal than just sitting around focused on how do I get a good deal? How do I get a good deal day after day, right? Go through the process. That is the shortcut. Thank you so much, Nick, for joining me today. Um, where can people learn more about you and all the, the cool things that you're doing? Um, where's yeah. the best way to find out more about that? Uh, I'm a process guy, so I don't have an outcome in mind. But I'll tell you, so typically when people ask, I just say whatever is most interesting to me uh, at the time. Go check out Whale Club because Paul's doing some cool stuff. Um, I assume you already know about it if you're watching this. Uh, Peter Diamandis is creating a new AI. And everybody is spinning out trying to get caught up. A whole bunch of people are going to wreck themselves because they think like, oh, no, I need to learn AI. And they're going to lose hours and hours and hours, and they're still going to fall behind. And then they're going to have lost hours and be behind. Um, so while everybody's going, hey, how do I make money? How do I make money off AI? I go back to the process for me. It's always the process. Because I'm in the process of doing interesting things and trying to make my life better every day. It's not like I'm trying to get to a certain, you know, goal wow once i get there i'm there it's like what are the all this cool stuff's coming out so they have this new ai and you can create a newsletter so you could say like you know investing um maybe they're interested in whales you know maybe the whale club starts educating about whales uh, or you could say you know i really like uh warren buffett i really like this person, this person. so this ai will um curate the best of the best and then you can share it with people and uh, based on their behaviors and open, so open rates for every email I've seen, because Joe Polish is doing this, the open rates go up over time. Mm -hmm. AI optimizes the headlines, the content, all that stuff. And I was like, I don't want to grow an audience. That's the last thing I want. Um, and so I was talking to Joe uh, Stolte, who, who is the partner on, on, it's called Futurescope. And I was like, can you just build me something I want to read? And then... I'll just share it with others. So for, you know, I write my newsletter. I write a lot of, I write for a lot of uh, different newsletters and publications. Um, and I was like, yeah, but there's nothing I want to read. So um, you can Google and just click down and find stuff that I made and working on. But what's more interesting and might be more helpful sometimes is if you're interested in what I'm reading, you can go, it's subscribe.nickpeterson.com. And then you'll see, you'll see in my content and stuff, you'll be able to tell like, oh yeah, I just read that too. So I'm having all, all my favorite sources curated and sent directly to me. And then part of the deal is I said, I try to get, you know, enough subscribers for them to get data to optimize. Nice. Yeah. I, I checked that out yesterday. So I got on your list. Um, it's pretty cool, right? AI yeah. is running the whole thing. I have zero, zero minutes of work. That's cool. Crazy stuff coming with this AI. Uh, stay curious and just remember, right? We're all going to want cheap dopamine, um, but the process is the shortcut, just like it is with anything. So if you want to get good at something, you know, go through the process. Um, we got, a, like Nick was saying, we've got a bunch of stuff on uh, Whale Club and just this is kind of what we talk about inside of our community. We learn to implement these tools, these frameworks, these mental models into our life so we can get the things that we want. Um, so if you guys want to learn more about that, you can go to realestatecertainty.com. From there, you can check out all of our podcasts and all the different stuff that we're putting out. There's a link. You could also go directly there to whaleclubfreestuff.com. We're just putting out a whole bunch of stuff that we find useful. You know, hopefully you guys find it useful as well. We, we use these things to make better decisions in our life. Um, and a lot of this came from Nick and Dan directly from them. They taught us. We're adapting it and, and learning how to apply it in the real estate world. And we want to share that with you guys. That's sort of the point of this show is to share all these tools, these frameworks, these mental models that are working for us. So go check that out, realestatecertainty.com. Uh, it's, it's Nick Peterson, N-I-C. P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N. So if you guys want to check out, subscribe.nickpeterson.com. Go check that out. Thanks again for joining us, Nick. Anything you want to uh, say before we jump off today? 
Oh, somehow you're on mute. There we go. Uh, nope, nothing else. I have to jump. It was a pleasure and I appreciate the time as always. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you guys tuning in and uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode.